death of Christ, the centurion stood there. He looked up at Jesus on the cross, and in the midst of all that had happened, his involvement directly in the crucifixion of Christ, he looked and said, surely this is the Son of God. The look of Christ and the pure atoning grace that he gives to each and every one of us. What a joy it is to have a Savior in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, join me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you have been reading through your Bible this year, following the schedule there in our bulletin, recently you have read the account of Moses when he went up into the presence of the Lord up on Mount Sinai. He received the commandments the first time. He goes up a second time because they were destroyed because of the sin of Israel. He goes up a second time and he spends 40 days with the Lord. When he is done with those 40 days, it's a miraculous time. He comes back down to the children of Israel. And when he comes into the presence of the children of Israel, they can't look on him because his face shines from the glory of God. The tabernacle, which would be built shortly after that time and later the temple, had a room in the back of it that was called the Holy of Holies. It was not a large room, but inside it sat the Ark of the Covenant. And at the first day of the opening of the temple, when Solomon had built it, the presence of God fills that Holy of Holies, as he had throughout the time in the tabernacle. And inside that Holy of Holies, there was a separating curtain that was the the size of a man's hand in thickness. Part of the reason is because when the glory of God enters in, we can't handle it. Any account you see in Scripture of someone in the presence of God, they are overwhelmed by it. When Moses asked to see God, God says, look, you can't see me and live. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to pass by, and when you're hidden in there, you'll get to see just a bit of my glory go by you. And when Moses saw the glory of God and he comes down and he now stands before the children of Israel, the brightness of the glory of God has infected the skin of Moses. His face shines. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians is using that story that many Jews know very well to help make a point. And the point is that Moses, when he was in the presence of God, it so changed him that he had to wear a veil because people couldn't stand to look on him. And then we come to the end of that passage. Verse 15 of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So just like when Moses would go back into the presence of God, he would take that veil off. And and there with God, he didn't have to hide the effect of God on his life. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. There's no separation between us and God now because of that atoning grace which was just sung about. Verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, now he's speaking to believers, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who have recognized I'm a sinner on my way to hell, I deserve eternal punishment, but because of the cross, because of Easter, because of Jesus Christ, I have trusted in him and I am now on my way to heaven. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the picture here is just looking in a mirror. It's as if we look into a mirror and we see the reflection. 
beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Several years ago, a simple thought dawned on me. As a society, as adults dealing with children, we tend to ask a question and we ask the wrong question. And it's not just that we ask the wrong question. As parents, we begin to instill the wrong question into our children. And we begin to train them and teach them and lead them under the guise of an answer to a question that's the wrong question to ask. You you probably asked the question, and the question's not bad. And in fact, you even ask it of adults. It's part of our conversation. But the question's the wrong question. And yet, it's the question we focus on so many times. How many of you have ever walked up to a little kid, and you see the little kid, and perhaps they may even be dressed up in some kind of a costume or something, and you look at them and say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer we're looking for, and what we teach when we ask that question is, hey, you, you want to be a police officer? You want to be a firefighter? You want to be an astronaut? You want to be a professional sport? What do you want to do when you grow up? And so as adults, we come up to another adult. We say, hey, what do you do for a living? What is it that you do? And we ask the question about the doing of their life, and we therefore place the importance on the doing. So with kids, we start the same process. We say, okay, hey, what do you want to do when you get older? What, do you, what is it? You want to be a police officer? To, and we ask these questions. And so we then take that child, and we begin to move them as they go through life for the doing. So when they're small, we discipline behavior because we want them to behave well. We want them to do right. They get a little bit older. We educate them in a system so that they can do what they want when they get older. We have a comprehensive education system. Then when they get towards high school, we get ready to say, okay, now what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And so we didn't kind of make decisions about what job they're going to get or are they going to go to tech school or are they going to go to college and what kind of training are they going to move forward with. And then as adults, we look at each other and we say, hey, what do you do? But it dawned on me one day. Honestly, there's some things I would care, I guess. But for the most part, I don't care what my kids do when they get older. You say, well, well, Pastor, certainly. I mean, I I don't want them to grow up to be a serial killer. So, you know, I do care about some of the things that they do. But the truth is, I realized what I really want is for what they become when they get older. Who they are. What, What type of person they become is far more important to me than what they do. Have you met people that genuinely... In your heart, you just say, man, they're wonderful. I just, they're just great people. And then you look at what they do for a living to pay for their food and their house and all of those. And there's multiple different backgrounds in them. Hey, we have a lot of engineers in our church. So we have a lot of people who are involved in the engineering field who have become great people and they pay for their house doing engineering. One of the greatest guys I know makes a living selling two-by-fours. But he has become an incredible man. I got a text message this morning from a great friend who is an incredible builder. But building's not who he is. It's 
who he has become as a person, that is far more important. And when I look at my kids, I am far more concerned about who they become than what they do. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Become something different by the renewing of your mind. So when the Lord looks at us, there's doing that we're required of in Scripture. And there are things that we are taught, and we'll look at it more in a second. But the reality is, becoming is more important than the doing. And what we have to pause and recognize, and because we are in an exchange society, meaning I go to the store, I give money, I want my product in exchange. And in most relationships we have, they're exchange-based relationships. I give, I receive. And, and I want that return on investment of my time, my assets, my energy. So when we come to God, we tend to come to God in that same exchange relationship. We even pray that way. God, give me this because I've done this. And when we come to God, what we have to pause and remember is it is hard for us to believe, but God is more interested in you than what you do. God is more interested in who you become than what you're getting done. If you're a task-oriented person, and I am, I can easily associate who I am with what I got done. And if you ask me how my day went, it will quickly go to my to-do list in my mind. How much of my list did I get done? And, and that's how you know how, how good of a day you had in my world. But when it comes to God, God is far more concerned with who you became that day than what you got done that day. And that's hard. But it's not. With my kids, I, I don't walk into Karis and Tinsley, who are now five and a half months old, and go, hey, what'd you girls get done today? Nothing, huh? Yeah, you just cried and ate. That's pretty much it. That's their life. But I'm very concerned with what they're becoming. You know, I, I want to know, are they gaining weight? Yeah, okay. Or, are they still healthy? Are, are they getting their motor skills? Are they developing? And the becoming is important physically. Then I come in, and I've got older children. I come to them. Hey, what did you do today? And one of my little ones will say, I didn't get any spankings today. And, and they're very proud of that fact that they didn't get in trouble that day. You know, I, I was good. I didn't get in any trouble today. And that's their definition of what they did. Either they got in trouble or they didn't get in trouble. You know, other kids, well, I did this in school. Well, I did this. And, and we start as parents asking the question, emphasizing the task, instead of worrying about who they are. And in my own life, I evaluate the same way. So my question this morning is, who are you becoming? In your life, look, all of us will one day, unless the Lord comes again, all of us will be in a box with people around us remembering our life. And what will they remember about us? They'll remember some of the things we did.
distance. I wasn't really worried about what they did. But I was grateful for having known them. And there have been a few. There really honestly haven't been all that many in my life where when I came to that moment at the end of their life, I could honestly say it was a privilege of my life to know them. I'm a better person because of them. What I want is for my life to be able to answer the question of who am I becoming and it to become the person that at the end of my life I will be proud that I became. Now, you're in here this morning. We have quite an age range in here this morning. We have some in here who would be in their young teen years. We have some who you saw your teen years a millennia ago. You know, So it's been a while. And at the end of the day, if you are still alive, you are still becoming someone. So who are you becoming? The most important thing in life is not what I do. It is who I become. But the problem with that is, is becoming is more difficult than doing. Can you not, it's so easy to evaluate your doing. And you look at, okay, I got this done, I got this done, I got this done. I got this job, I got this promotion, I climbed this level, I accomplished this education structure. I got these things done, so now I'm the person I wanted to be. Are you really? Look, just be honest, it's just us this morning. Haven't you been sometime in your life where you got something done and you needed to get it done? I mean, you, the world was going to stop if you didn't get it done. You were sure of it. You, you got it done. And at the end of getting it done, you had to clean up the mess. And I'm not talking about the tools. I'm talking about the hurt feelings. And I'm talking about the runover emotions. And I'm talking about how you didn't become who you wanted to be and accomplishing the task you needed to get done? I, I'm guilty, I, and I will clearly admit that. And it's a struggle sometimes. And it's hard sometimes. And you have to constantly look at yourself and say, you know what, doing can be easy. Getting it off the list, that, that's not hard. But when I'm getting it done, am I becoming the person that I need to become in order, when that's done, that I don't have the regrets behind it? All of us should have goals for our lives. And one of the goals that I have heard other people say, and I was actually reminded of it again this week, and it convicts me every time I hear it, is I want the people who know me best to respect me most. But the problem is we all live under the principle of familiarity breeds contempt because we live under the thinking of getting it done instead of who I'm becoming. Becoming so much easier. For me, in many ways, I love the doing, but becoming is far better than doing. And yet, at some level, becoming requires doing. Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said, sow a thought, reap an action. Reap an action, or excuse me, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. In other words, you will become... The habits that you sow, the thoughts that you sow, the actions that stem from them. So the two work hand in hand. See, we can't completely tear these apart. But what happens is when we focus on the doing and we stop focusing on the becoming, then we do the things that are the easiest, the most effective, the greatest return on immediate investment. 
And if we focus on becoming, then the doing changes. Because we recognize the doing is what's going to end up with the becoming. And I want to become. What kind of person are you becoming is a question of the inner disposition of your heart. In other words, the kind of person you are comes from the inside out. It is demonstrated through your habits. The Lord said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You will hear people in media, especially in public figures, who will make a statement. And then they will come back and they say, well, that's not who I really am. Actually, it is who you really are. You've just been hiding the other person. For me, for you, look, we all, we all can come before God. We can look at Jesus Christ. We can have the Spirit of God come inside of us when we accept Him at salvation. We can yield control over, and the glory of God can transform, can change us into His image so that I can become in the image of Christ. But in order for that to happen, I've got to yield to the Spirit leading. I've got to yield to the teachings. I've got to come and say, okay, look, this is so much more important than my checklist. That's easy on a Sunday morning for me to stand up here and say. But it's hard on Monday morning when the list is full on your desk and it keeps growing. What habits are you ingraining in your own character? What virtues are you etching on your heart? What is it that in your life, right now, you are doing and you may be good at it, but it's hurting the outcome of who you should become? The question we should be asking ourselves is who should we become? Who should you become? 2 Corinthians says, I should be changed into the Spirit of God. Colossians 1.16, for by Him... Were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, for him. Therefore, you are to become the person he created and saved you to be. There in 2 Corinthians, you're in chapter 3 over in chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Christ, I am saved I have been created, I am saved, and because of that, who I become is not a matter of who I want to be. Who I become is a matter of who He wants me to be. What's the problem with becoming who God wants you to be instead of becoming who you want to be? The answer is my pride. My pride is my problem. Because I have in my mind that I'm right. And the fact that it's in my mind makes it right, correct? I mean, it has to be. My last name's right. It's got to be right, you know? So, I mean, you, you live under this idea that because you think it, it's right. We have to learn. Don't believe everything you think. But when I come to God and I say, God, this, this doesn't matter in this life. What I do, it doesn't matter in this life who I become apart from who you want me to be. And that's hard. Because all of us have in our hearts and minds who we think we should be. And yet, 
God who made us, he, made, he wired you, has who you should be because of the way you are wired. And in who you should be because of the way you are wired, you are perfectly equipped and you will have complete joy in being who you were made to be. But you still fight it because you have in your idea who you think you should be. I'll give you a simple illustration. In sports, there are different coaches at different levels in different sports. In football, you have what is known as the head coach. And then you have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. And there's about 8,000 others, depending on which program you're at. There is, in the league right now, I, a believe, guy I believe who is one of the best offensive coordinators that I have ever seen. He is fabulous at it. There's one problem. He wants to be a head coach. And so he was a head coach at one school. He was there for a year. He left that school. He went to another school. He was a head coach there. He got fired there. He was a head coach in the pros. He got fired there. He finally went back to being an assistant coach as an offensive coordinator, and he was great. Two years later, he got tired of doing that, went to be a head coach again, did an okay job. Now he's a head coach at another. He keeps going from one place to another to another to another because he's convinced of what he needs to be. And we look at that, and as a sports fan, if you're one in here, you recognize it and you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But as Christians, we do the exact same thing. Yeah, but, but I should be held in this position. Oh, I should be doing this. Oh, I should be looked at this way. Oh, I should be respected on this. No, I should be able to do this. Oh, my opinion should matter in this. Oh, I should be able to. Oh, I should be able to. And we get into our jobs, and we have the same attitude. And before long, everybody we work with knows that we're good at our job. But they don't see a change into the image of Christ's life at all. Because we do, we don't become. For us, the invitation to become is more than a call to conversion. It is a call to a changed life. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. There is a change in the life of one who will completely surrender to God and say, God, okay, okay, okay. It's no longer what I want. It's what you want. And I will trust that though the path may be bumpy at times, and hey, we've all been there, that where you want me to end up is far better than where I want me to end up. Wouldn't it be fair to say that for your children, you want more for them than they do? Yeah. My kids will say things to, yeah, I, I, I want to do this when I get older. And in my heart, I go, man, I sure hope not. I, I want far more for you than that. God in heaven wants more for you than you could ever want for yourself. And when I will come to him and say, okay, I give my life to you, who do you want me to become? He will look at you and say, I want you to be changed into my image. I want you to become new. And as you will yield, I will lead. Just follow. So how are you going to become that person that you want to become? What is it in your life that you're going to do? Now, this is one of those, you, you have to face this truth this morning. Your personal spiritual growth model is perfectly designed to produce the results you are currently getting. Amen. All right, let me put it in another way, and then we'll come back to the statement. Your personal physical model 
is perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. So if you look in the mirror and you say, I am physically not the person I need to be right now, it's because the life that you are living has created that. Spiritually, it's equally true. You are as close today to the Lord as you want to be. But the spiritual model you have set in your life has created you, the spiritual person that you are. So if you look at your spiritual condition this morning and you go, eh, and, and look, depending on your personality, it, your scale of 1 to 10 will be completely different. You know, if you're a little too high on yourself, when you go, yeah, I think I'm pretty much a 10 spiritually, then I can guarantee you you're not. You know, you're, you're not there. Equally, if you go, I'm probably like a zero spiritually, you're probably not either, you know, because you're harder on yourself. The other person's too good to themselves. We're all in a process of growing. The reality is there's no such scale that we want to put ourselves on one. The truth is, is how much am I yielded to? How much am I following Christ? How much am I being changed into the person he wants me to become? And there's always a continuation. It, look, our lives, especially our spiritual lives, are a journey. They are not a destination. Though it's so much better to arrive, it's a journey. So we embrace the journey that we have in Christ. And we recognize at this moment, I am where I am because of the spiritual model I have set in my life. So if you're not where you want to be, you need to fix your spiritual model. For some, that spiritual model is, hey, look, I come to church and I'm at church once a week. And that's what I believe I need spiritually to be close to the Lord. And then the model that's coming out of that, you may look at it and say, well, I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I feel like that's all I need. Well, the model's broke. You need to fix it. But equally, there are people who say, well, I'm at church every time the doors are open. I read my Bible. I check off all the little marks in the bulletin. I do all of the things that I'm supposed to do. And yet you're not where you're supposed to be. You say, but I'm doing all the things. But you're worried about the doing instead of the becoming. Look, it is far more important to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read about love and look at it and say, I got to change that. I need to do that. I want to be better here. I need to do this. Than it is to come to 1 Corinthians 13 and go, check, I read it. We come before God and we look at God and say okay who is it that I need to become in this journey that I'm on th this model that I have is it accomplishing who I want to accomplish let, let me give you a couple quick thoughts here one simplify simplify stop worrying about everything the, the problem man it, it's such a dilemma social media is a great tool but social media has changed the way we define our lives. And so I laugh all the time. It's like, if I don't get a picture, it didn't really happen. And so people now, if they don't get the perfect picture to put on their Instagram, to put on their Facebook, then the event really didn't go off well. They could have had a great time, but they didn't have a picture for it, so it doesn't matter. And then they go on and look at everybody else's perfect pictures. And then they go, man, my life doesn't compare to theirs. Really? It, it, we live our life in, in this odd little paradigm in which we're trying to figure out, but we do it spiritually too. Well, man, you should see the verses this post person posts on theirs. Well, you should see the way that this church is doing. Well, you should see what they're saying. And, and we constantly go about comparing spiritually to everybody else. Stop. 
there's some older, especially guys. I'm sure there's some older ladies in here too. There's some older guys in here who are going, people really do that? Why would anyone? And the answer to that is they absolutely do. And it's creeping into churches. It's creeping into the hearts of believers. And we're now comparing to everything. Look, simplify. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what I think of you. What matters is when I'm with the Lord and I'm living my life for him, is my relationship with the Lord right? I promise you, there are things in my relationship with my wife that if I communicated with you the way that I communicate with her, it would be offensive to you and it doesn't affect us at all. It's because we have a relationship and we worry about our closeness to each other, not what you think about our closeness to each other. And at the end of the day, that's the same way with God. Because you don't do it exactly like I do, it's okay. But the spiritual model you have has to produce a closeness with God and a changing into his image. So simplify. Don't, don't try, you don't have to read every blog out there. You don't have to read every uh, website that's got something about spiritual growth to try and do it the way that they do. What you have to do is worry about being close to the Lord. Specify, God, what is it that you want for me and my life to become for you? What is it I struggle with? If you're struggling with a, a particular sin habit in your life, and it can be as much as a disposition, it can be as much as an attitude, it can be a, a lack of doing something. If you're struggling in some area, specify that and recognize this is, where I, this is what's keeping me from becoming the person I want to become. And come back and address that. This will not happen passively. You have to be active about it. You have to work at this. Simple thought. Being at church won't make you a better Christian any more than attending a basketball game will help your jump shot. It doesn't happen. So when I come to church, church is a great tool. But when I come to church, if I'm not actively involved in my own heart, I will never become who I need to become. This is an active role on my part in my life. You are the individual who is the most responsible for your spiritual condition. You can say, oh, well, my parents, well, that's not an excuse anymore. If you're old enough to hear this, you're old enough to understand you have a responsibility in your spiritual walk. Well, my background, that's no excuse. Look, I'm sorry, I cannot stand to hear someone say, because of my background, I still let words slip every now and then. I have met people who are far worse who don't. Look, go to the Lord, become the person you want to be, and work on it. Now, letting a word slip does not make you a terrible person. But it does reveal something in your heart. And it shouldn't be for you. And look, I'm not a priest, okay? I, I can't forgive you of your sins, okay? So, and no other priest on earth can. But people will always, oh, I, I shouldn't say that in front of the preacher. No, you shouldn't say it. It, it has nothing to do with what I get paid doing. When it comes right down to it, it should be when that happens that it's not, oh, I apologize for embarrassing myself in front of someone. It should be I apologize because, God, that's what's in my heart. Look, I have to recognize as a husband when I get frustrated about something that this is my heart problem. 
as a father, when I get angry, it is my problem. It's not their behavior. It's me. And as a Christian, when it comes out, it's me. And so I have to say, look, this is something I've got to work on. The heart is our core, the place where our will, thoughts, and feelings all converge. And so therefore, I must focus on my heart and changing what is inside of me. I focus on the needs of my heart. We're going to look at this more over the next couple weeks. In order to be formed into a person of character, integrity, and strength, you need to start confronting and understanding your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If things are pouring out, it's because of what's in. And most times, this is just for me, most times it's because I've made God too small at that moment. I've made me too big, I've made God too small, and it is me pouring out. And for you and I, we have to recognize this is a heart issue. And I've got to start looking at my heart. Because we just came out of family month. As much as I know there is a personal responsibility for every believer, I influence my children. And I influence others in here. And I don't want to make it harder on you to become who you're supposed to be because I haven't become who I'm supposed to be. You could ask, and anyone in here could find faults in me. But I promise you, you don't find as many faults in me as I know are in me. But it doesn't make it okay. I'm a sinner just like you. But I recognize I still have to work on who I'm becoming. Because the day is coming when my body will lay or I'll be in heaven. And the question that I want to answer now is, who do you want to be? If you're not who you want to be right now, then who do you want to be? How do you want to be remembered when you're gone? Who do you want to become? There's a song I heard a choir sing this past week. And in the song, there was a phrase used right at the very beginning that all I want in life is to be known for loving Christ. That's a convicting thought. Who do you want to be? I want to be the person who loves Christ with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I want to be the person who loves my neighbor as myself. And we'll be looking at those in the next two weeks. But who have you become? Who are you becoming? More importantly, who do you want to be?